1: Hello again, my beautiful Screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay. This is episode... Well, you know what? It's not an episode. This is a bonus episode. This is, in fact, a flashback episode. And tonight, we're going to be replaying an episode in which I sat down and had a conversation with out-gay horror film director Bart Mastronardi. That was recorded two years ago during... Well, after the Halloween Podathon. And the reason I'm posting this is because... Immediately following this, I'm going to be releasing an episode, an actual episode, as promised, with our director and actor and producer and writer, Alan Roe Kelly. And these two are so intertwined, I thought it would be a good idea to refresh your memory about Bart Mestrinardi before bringing on Alan Roe Kelly. Because we spent a lot of time with Alan talking about Bart and a lot of time with Bart talking about Alan. So I'm just going to bring the two together like they were supposed to be in this episode. Anyway. Oh, in case you don't remember, my name's Patrick. Hi, how you doing? And for the past 10 years, I have been your guide to the weird and wonderful world of horror movies, but you're gonna have to look at them through my very gay little eyes, right? Of course, right? But for Pride Month, we're gonna be looking at horror movies through the eyes of the out-queer filmmakers who made them, starting with Bart Masternardi, And this will also be a nice little refresher course because the next few Saturday Double Features are gonna be featuring the films of these out-queer horror filmmakers that I'm going to be interviewing this month. So this weekend we're going to be watching Bart's film Vindication and Tales of Pope and there'll be more information about that after the interview. So sit back, relax, and refresh yourself with a little splash of Bartmaster Nord. So I am thrilled. To have joining me on this very special episode of Scream Queens, a fabulous out gay director whose work you've already been introduced to. Yeah, he's one of the guys who helped write and direct the very first episode, uh, the movie rather, that was on the first episode of the Potathon. And I'm talking about Tales of Poe. And that guy I'm talking about is director Bart Mastronardi. How you doing? Bart? Thank How are you? you. How are you? Uh, well, we already had this conversation. Oh my gosh, everything below the waist is kaput. But hey, how's California?
0: <laughs> it's uh, seventy-five and sunny, and I'm on top of the mountains right now, so it's actually beautiful right now.
1: Yeah. So Bart directed two of the three segments in Tales of Poe. So if you want to refresh their memories,
0: Bart. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I directed uh, The Telltale Heart with, uh, that's the one with Debbie Roshan. and then I directed Dreams, and that's the one with uh, Adrian King, uh, Amy Steele, Caroline Williams, and that one.
1: Joe Zazzo is going to be really mad you left him out.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Dazzo and Joe Zazzo, who actually, I love his part because I wrote that um, uh, when we wrote it, Michael Varati wrote the script and um, I wanted to get Joe in there and uh, we got this really creepy scene with him as like the grave kind of keeper, which i actually, uh, when we were writing, it, it was kind of based off of uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet, the grave keeper, uh, which is okay. one of those really kind of creepy kind of moments. And Joe really does it great because Joe's so visually present when the camera's on him. so yeah. it's always great to uh, to work with him. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, that is very true. Um I just, since you were we're kind of on dreams at the moment. Dreams was the third segment in the film, the one uh the, it was Dandy, Darkley's favorite that was my guest for the episode. It was his favorite of the three. It's the one that was mostly yes. silent but with Amy Steele's voiceover reading the Edgar Allan Poe dreams. And it was very surreal, yes. extremely surreal. Like they didn't even you didn't even attempt to explain anything was going on, it's completely left up to you. And yeah, I, know. I told you mm-hmm. at the New York City Horror Film Festival, when I saw it, I said, Bart, that was really ballsy. And I loved <laughs> that. I, I mean, I love when directors take a brave choice that to, put, to end your movie with this very long <laughs> sequence with almost no dialogue. And it's, it's a downer. I mean, it's mm. different from the other two segments and and not saying that in a bad way. It's sad. No, I know I understand.
0: I totally understand. Dreams is a very, um, you know, when Michael and I sat down to discuss what we wanted in there, um, you know, Derek Jarman came up a lot and very surreal, you know, pieces and discussion and uh, David Lynchian. I mean, it's influenced by so many different things, dreams. And he wrote this beautiful script. And the one note that I had was like, let's just keep Amy's narration in there and everything else would be a visual kind of story. And I'm I'm mostly drawn to silent movies. I'm not really drawn to very talkative movies. Okay. And when we did dreams, it was really such an opportunity to create almost an Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Ozian and kind of film based on a poem by Edgar Allen Poe that does not even have anything in there, uh, that, no. you know, would be synonymous to the visuals. So it was all created through Michael's script. And then whatever, you know, we did, uh, on set with our actors and production and stuff. And then Alan came in and, you know, it's just, it was just uh, so much beauty in that piece right there. Everybody loved Dream so much. I mean, this is, it's the one that's really the least, I think, um, I think I think it's the one that's the least kind of expected in that anthology.
1: Well, exactly. And also, you've set the tone with the other two. And granted, the other two segments, Telltale Heart and Casca that Alan Rowe Kelly directed, who might be joining us soon. He's all slitting a throat somewhere. FYI, everybody. But <laughs> as you do on a Sunday. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah.
1: When Alan is not working, he is usually slitting throats. <laughs> Got to pay the bill somehow, right? Um, yeah, Yeah uh what was i saying uh, well the, the the telltale heart had it, it, it had that wonderful ghoulish quality to it it was dark it mm-hmm. was mean and you, you took the tail yeah. and then added to it and spun it and that was cool and then cask did similar things updated it added to it switched everything around and then added this really kind of wonderful old school zombie element that's not in there at all which was just tons of fun because let's face it we know these stories
0: oh yes we do i i think everybody you know between telltale art and cask and Montiano, they have been filmed numerous times whether in the short format or within a feature uh, feature film where they've elongated them into like a two-hour film yeah and the whole idea that we wanted was well let's retell them but let's how can we tell it cinematically how can we tell them maybe different than maybe not new because i don't think we could do new again but we could definitely do it different than the way everybody else was doing it and alan with the cask of amontillado i had given it to him and i said hey you know either do mask of the red death or do cask of amontillado and he had a script very similar to cask of amontillado that him and randy jones wanted to do together Mm -hmm. and when he read the short story for cask of amontillado he's like oh my god i got the perfect vehicle that could kind of do this and he rewrote a script for it and that's how he got casco vermontillado the way that we have it nice
1: nice one of the things i just realized which i think is cool that you could use pretty much the same setting and the same cast for up Mask of vermontillado and red death just because i described it on the podcast i'm like this setting and this wedding is filled with this cast of eccentric characters <laughs> That are all just huge cunts that secretly cannot stand each other. And that's my kind of party. And that works for. Either <laughs> us. And that's a compliment. It is a compliment. I'm like, these people are awful. I love them.
0: <laughs> yeah. They, they're. Oh, my God. They're all bitchy. And they're all moaning and groaning about, you know, um, Alan, Mary and Randy's character. And then they all kiss and everything is supposed to be really cool.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. Because we all we all
1: know those people. Oh yes, we do. They're not fun it's, to hang out with in real life, but
0: they're fun in the movies. They're fun in the movies because they're characters, and it's just like God. You know, and there's some it is you. It's like watching Dynasty with the uh, Joan Collins and Linda Evans. It's like <laughs> you would love to just beat the crap out of somebody the way that those two go at it, or uh-huh. have those delicious lines that they deliver. But we know in real life that would be one laughable and two like. Somebody's getting clocked in the face. Well, right. (laughs) Well, like you
1: definitely, I mean, you dream of slapping somebody like one of those dramatic soap opera slaps, but then you wind up in jail. That's not fun.
0: No, no, that's the reality of it. But you know what? That's why we pick movies. I heard that jail is
1: not like it is in porn.
0: No, no. (laughs) it's. I I mean, I haven't been there. I haven't been to jail, but I'm sure that it's not. (laughs)
1: Let's not find out.
0: No, I don't want to find out. I don't. <laughs> I will keep the fantasies
1: though. Thank, thank you. Thank you. One of the things that keeps coming up uh from the people who heard the episode, how on earth were you able to wrangle so many you know classic like 80s scream queen superstars for one movie. You get people who never do movies anymore. do this movie. <laughs> oh, okay. So exciting. And to do it and do parts that they wouldn't normally do.
0: You know, that was, uh, I, man, it was a process. I will say this. Um, I'll give you the serious story. I mean, I could joke about it, but I'll give you the serious story. Um, my first film is vindication and I got very lucky that Clive Barker put his name attached to it. And Alan's been in the independent film community for quite some time and yes. both of us, we wound up having great respect for the work that we had. And when you get that sense of respect and, um, Hire people in the industry kind of say, hey, yeah, look at these people. They're actually doing really quality work, not just quantity of work. You know, that allows people to start looking at you. And when Vindication had come out, that was created a big buzz. I mean, it's not the most successful film in the world, but it, it definitely was an underground, it's definitely an underground horror film that, you know, I got lucky with and it took like four years to make. And what happened was You start going to these horror conventions, not as a fan, but as a filmmaker who wants to do business with people. And you hand out your film and stuff like that. And I already knew Amy Steele I wanted to work with and I had given her the film Vindication and Caroline I had known uh, for quite some time and she had seen Vindication and then she knew Alan's work and make a very long story short they just liked the quality of work that was being given that they were seeing and they wanted to work with that those people that were delivering that quality because as actors they, too, want quality of work. I mean, how many, how many more times can we watch, you know, young, noobly young girls running around pretty much topless running, uh-huh. you know, screaming from a serial killer? And it's fun. But as an actor, you do want you, you want a little bit more sometimes to, to give and show to people. Exactly. And I kind of feel like that's what they I kind of feel like that's what they felt. I'm a big Friday the 13th fan. Like, I love Halloween and Elm Street, but there's nothing more than, you know, that, that like whets my appetite, like the Friday the 13th series. I'm right there with so, you, babe.
1: Did I just Oh call man! Like, I totally called you, babe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's,
0: it's okay. It's okay, hon. It's okay, hon. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so to have Amy Steele and Adrian come on board, and I remember Michael Varadi and I, we were sitting at lunch with them and I we showed them the cut to Telltale Heart. And that's when they said, yeah, sign us up. And Amy had said, look, I haven't been on screen in like 25 years, please. I just want a really great part. And, you know, Michael went off and wrote that beautiful part for her as the mother. And Adrian was on board once, you know, uh, once, um, Debbie Rochon steps on Alan's eyeball in the telltale heart. And she's like, sign me up on Yes. (laughs) Yes. See folks. I got the story right. That was the story I
1: told on the show, and I was like, "I hope I'm getting this right," because I heard this a long time ago, and I had a lot of Manhattan's that night. But thank you, thank you. I love that story.
0: Oh, well, it That was it. That was the story. And um, you know what? It and. You know, and it's nerve-wracking because as a filmmaker, you're still a fanboy with them. And I remember Amy looked at me at one point, and um, we were doing her voiceover. So this was before the the visual performance. Mm -hmm. And we were just doing the voiceover, and we were screening the Telltale Heart the next night at the American Museum of the Moving Image in Queens. And she looked at me, and she goes, okay, what do you want me to do? And I was like, oh, my God, I have to direct her. (laughs) Yeah. You know, oh. and, and then you're like, OK, you know, put your directing pants on, Bart, and let's go. And that's basically how they kind of came together. So I'm going to imagine that what drew them was the quality of work because, let's face it, there's like no budget to pay them. They got basic, literally, if they took SAG minimum wage, which I think was like 100 bucks at the time. Um, We loved working with Adrian so much that we flew her back out the next year and we filmed additional scenes. That's why she plays the nurse in the beginning of dreams and then comes in as the queen Mm -hmm. of dreams because we Mm kind of connected the reality to the dream. Uh
1: You you get that uh, little visual clue that connects them to it. I'm not spoiling it. (laughs)
0: No, no, but it's all there. I mean, everything is very methodical and thought out when you watch Dreams. Um, you know, it was planned. Everything was planned. It was a lot of hard work. Dreams, I'll say, it was so much work.
1: My guest but- for the episode was he's a performance artist called Dandy Darkly, who was fabulous. He, he tells these wonderful <laughs> stories of sex and death. I don't know if you've heard of him, but I, he did not believe me. Okay. And I told him. What you told me about where so many scenes in dreams were filmed, i.e., <laughs> the cafeteria of the high school that you taught in at the time.
0: Uh, oh my He's God!
1: Like, yes, you're making that up. Those sets were lush. I'm like, they were, or they were made to look so. <laughs> but if you, because I, I kept watching the movie, and I think that you, there's some of that in Telltale Heart as well. I think right as well some of the scenes in the cafeteria. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like these oh, I mean, yeah. the cafeteria. You would not know. You would never, ever know. And I love that. And you, because I remember you that Uh, night, you say, I don't know. I don't know if it comes across. And I said, you could have knocked me over with a feather right now, Bart.
0: (laughs) You know what? The the joys of making independent film where you have no money is the fact that you have no money. So you have to be as creative as as creative as possible. And you put Alan and I in in the dollar store together, and you're going to just start doing everything you can possibly do to make it look that way. You know, I'm also a film professor and I tell my students all the time, a room is just four walls. What do you want it to be? And you're just going to have to create that to be those four walls to create the reality of the scene. And, you know, I remember reading when I was, uh, when I was starting out, I read Robert Rodriguez's, um, the diary of making El Mariachi rebel without a crew. And he said, use what you have and make it work. And I said, okay, Um, the high school that I taught at was really great. And they said, yeah, sure, use the cafeteria. And then classrooms became became dungeons and uh, they became sets and stuff like that. And I was very blessed with, you know, having the amount of people that supported us while making that film. And that's why the film came off the way that it came off.
1: I also really loved the choice to flip the genders in telltale heart mm, yeah that was very effective yeah, that
0: thank you thank you i remember uh so i was working with debbie roshan in allen's film and uh debbie's a great actress and i remember saying god i'd love to work with her and you know we became really good friends in the process and i remember Uh, One of my teachers was out, and I had a substitute for him, and uh, I had no idea what they were doing, and I walked in, and they were reading The Telltale Heart, and I remember the light bulb went off, and after the (laughs) class was over, I typed her, and I said, I got the project for us, and she goes, what is it? And I said, it's The Telltale Heart, so isn't that for a man? And I was like, not anymore. Not anymore, yeah. And I remember seeing the Telltale Heart. I did. I went and I watched other versions and they're all the same. Some stupid person looking at the camera, talking. It's like, it's not cinematic. And I remember yep. reading a, you know, Marty Scorsese interview and John Cassavetes. And they're always like, you've got to make your adaptation cinematic. You know, you're making a movie. How does the camera play? How does it work? And that was how Telltale Heart came about. And then, you know, putting my own spin on it, I kept his story. I just built on the skeleton that he gave us. And rather than a sick old man, I made it a sick age, silent film star. And I wrote it for Alan, and I wrote it for um, Debbie. And then I got Desiree Gould from Sleepaway Camp, who's Mm -hmm. just a deer. And then Leslie Donaldson, who played uh, in uh, Dreams and in Telltale Telltale as Evelyn Dick in there. Oh, Evelyn! So it was really. Her last name was Dick. It was Evelyn Dick. D I C K E. I believe it was. I asked That's her, I said, fitting. You know,
1: That's fitting for that character in that potty mouth.
0: <laughs> 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 was, like, <laughs> oh my right gosh, way. you got a filthy mouth in there! I remember when I wrote the line. I don't. I kind of feel like I don't write the lines. The characters do that for me. I'm just I listening totally to them that, in yeah. my head. Yep. And I said, and I remember her. I remember the character Evelyn saying. um tell me what your story is. I'll rip out your cunt. Like, like I did all my other husband's sluts. Yeah. And I wrote that. I, I got so excited. I texted over to Leslie and she was really active. She, she loved it. And she just did a phenomenal job with that. And she's gotten, I think she was nominated like three times for best supporting actress for that part.
1: Good for her. Good for her. I love her. I've met her a couple of times as well. And she is a sweetheart. Oh, she's a she's a
0: fantastic. She brings it. Let me tell you, when she's on set, she brings it.
1: Can't complain about that, no, sir Bob. Since we're talking about people lighting up the room or the screen, and since I just saw her a couple of weeks ago, I need to talk yes. about Adrian King a bit.
0: Ah, uh, my queen. <laughs> yes, I,
1: because I, I got to go to the uh, Camp Crystal Lake tour that they do. Oh, you did. Oh,
0: I wanted to do that. Well, so you told
1: I. We had talked really briefly on Twitter, and you had said, "Make sure to tell her." Uh, to give my queen all of her love, and I walked up <laughs> her to her table and I was like, "Hi, Adrian. What a pleasure to meet you. I'm Patrick Walsh. Bart Mestrinati told me to tell <laughs> you <laughs> to give. Uh, he told me to give his queen all of her and her and she lights up a room anyway. She's got so much energy, and it's not fake. It's not fake.
0: That no, light got not. so much brighter." <laughs> Uh, she, let me tell you, she is one of my, she, she has become one of my dearest friends in life. Uh, cause she's also an artist and she's a painter and we both kind of get it. And, uh, but she's just quite supportive and we'll just call each other up and, you know, and just bullshit. It has nothing to do with, you know, what's your next, you know, most of these people that just like, oh, what's your next project? Can I be in it? Never hustle, 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 hustle,
1: about hustle.
0: That. Yeah. Yeah. It's just two friends get together and
1: we talk. I, I, speaking of hustle, I did have a question about her. That yes. I meant to ask her that day, but of course, you know, you you you, you get starstruck and all of a sudden you're just drooling out of the side of your mouth instead of actually speaking, that sort of a thing. <laughs> but I noted in Dreams that yes. she is so commanding, like she's telling her story so well without saying a word. I mean, when her eyes open behind, you know, when she's in her little glass coffin thing. Yeah, I actually stood up and went, oh, shit, I but she's such a weird... does she have? I mean, I know she was in Saturday Night Fever, but does she have a mm-hmm. like, trained dance training?
0: Yeah, I believe uh, Adrian was a dancer. I believe she started in ballet when she was ah. uh, getting started in the industry. Uh, so she's definitely got dance behind her. And that
1: totally reads in that segment. I'm like, she knows how to
0: tell a story with her body she let me tell you she and the one thing that i said to adrian i I said this to all the actors is i don't want to see what you're known for which is your your roles that everybody associates you with i don't want to see alice hardy i don't want to see uh, Ginny fields i don't want to see stretch i don't want to see all the roles that you've created with you know aunt martha and stuff like that i come from a theater directing background and it's Mm -hmm. great that i'm working with these actors and actresses and it's those roles that have drawn me to them but those are the things that I want from an actor is I don't want to see those characters. I want audiences to see that you are an actor and that you can bring it. And yeah. we would spend, Adrian and I would spend emails and hours talking about her character. And she, and I love that as a director, when the actors really discuss their roles with me and meaningful, not just to discuss for bullshit reasons, but meaningful purposes mm-hmm. and she, she really got it. She knew that it was all about the silent visual image and that we were telling a story. And she, like you said, and you picked right up on it, is that everything is expressive through that face, through her eyes. And she, that's an actress, and that's what you want. And she delivered. She really delivered that.
1: Right. And also, I know that the girl who was the dreamer in that sequence, I know was a dancer. I had a long conversation with her at the, at the, at the, after the film festival. And the two of them together are magic.
0: They got along so well that when they were when they were doing the fight scenes, they were always very conscious of each other. Are you okay? Oh, I'm okay. It's okay. All right, good. And there was like action, and then it's like slap, pull the hair, you know, stuff like that. They were really good with each other. Well,
1: you want that in a fight partner, to be perfectly honest. You have to be really aware of your other partner and have they're okay. Otherwise, don't. I don't want to work with you. <laughs> I've worked with those people <laughs> you don't give a shit, and somebody's going to wind up hurt. And so that's nice. I love. I love that whole. St- I love that whole story. That. They- I had to say, Bart, watching it this time for the podcast in the interim between me seeing it at the it film festival. And now my sister passed away of cancer. It was quick, it oh, was brutal. Very and sorry I, I didn't know people could die like that. That dream yeah. segment meant so much more to me. Like I saw so much oh, more thank in you. It, and so many levels and so many wonder it's, it's, magic and it was a a happy thing but it was also it ripped my heart out and stomped it on the floor and i don't expect that in a horror movie and i loved that you had the balls to do it
0: i you know and i'm you know and and my my condolences about your the passing of your sister with cancer thank you Um, my dad my dad had brain cancer and he too passed um and you know it's very uh the thing that I find with horror films, and you know, a lot of people like it for campy purposes, but you know what? I'm more drawn to the emotional side of it, where there is this empathy and the sympathy with, with the Frankenstein monster and mm-hmm. characters, and I'm very drawn to the the horror that can't that that what is cancer? That's horrifying, yeah. you know, because you have there's there's nothing else you can do except you could try and fight it as much as you can, but at the end result, this is it. You're losing everything. Yeah, and, and you better, don't want to leave. Yeah.
1: Sorry, go, you go. You're the guest. You always have the right of way.
0: No, no, you don't want to leave. And that's heartbreaking. And that's that's the horror of it for me. And, yeah. you know, and, and so to emotionally kind of tell those stories, um, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the, the emotion. And that is taking a risk. You're absolutely right. Because most horror fans don't want that ending they don't want to end off on a i was told we should have put dreams first and i was just like no i and you know like telltale heart would probably have been or a task of amontillado the best way to end it on a high note where there's a big punch at the end of it uh-huh. but dreams kind of i want i wanted the audience to kind of walk out thinking what they just saw and it is it, he died and it's sad and there's this conclusive ending to it i don't know if, whether we made the right choice or not to end it on dreams but i know I loved it, um, and it is heartbreaking, and I remember watching Amy and Bette do the performance. Um, there was a moment where Amy just got very teary-eyed, and it was, it, was, it was quite emotional because she's putting herself there. It could be a sister. It could be a father. It could be whoever it is, and it is sad. It's very sad, and, and Edgar Allan Poe didn't live a, a really high lifestyle. He was a very poor man, and he didn't live a very creative life. No, he died. What was it? Five years. Five years after his death, did people start discovering his work? Yep. And the other
1: thing he's known for. I mean, people always associate him with horror, but the other thing he did really well was melancholy.
0: Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And the ending to to dreams is really um, Annabelle, when uh, as Annabelle Lee, which is yeah. often the distance of the the ocean and the tides, and you know, it's all there. And yeah, you, you know, it's uh I'm, I've, I, like I said, I've always been drawn to the emotional side of horror, and I've been drawn less to the campy side of it. Although you know, it's camp is fun at times, but you want to have some substance there. You want to be able to kind of say, "Hey, I could relate to that in some way." Nope. I love all. The, I love. I
1: love everything you're saying. I say this on the show all the time. I'm like, give me characters I care about.
0: Yes, yeah, I, I, absolutely, I, when somebody, absolutely. When somebody
1: dies, I want to feel something besides relief that I don't have to see them anymore. That's easy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you can't, it's really it is. easy to write a whole cast full of absolutely horrible, horrible people that you can't wait to die. But I don't want that in a horror movie. I want to get attached to you. I don't always want to be on the side of Jason, which I'm usually not. I mean, no, I don't. I'm always rooting for the victim. I, I am always rooting for Brenda in
0: the original Friday the 13th. Yeah. And she never makes it. <laughs> and she doesn't. No, and you know, what? Even, even in Carrie, like when Carrie goes to the prom, okay. you're like, don't go to the okay. prom. Please don't. And you want that. You want it simple. You want to you want them to not do it. But, you know, they have to do it because if not, then it's not a horror movie anymore. Bart,
1: every single time I watch Carrie, when we're getting to the slow motion bit, I'm going, maybe it won't happen this time.
0: Maybe it won't happen this time, because if it doesn't happen, it's a Cinderella story. Yes. Then it, yes. And then we realize, wait, we're in a Stephen King novel. It has to happen.
1: Like, like, cause the way that movie is constructed, I, I love the way that movie flows because it's almost like this kind of, what is the word I'm looking for? The inevitability of fate. Like er, everything is happening because it has to happen. Like there's no getting yeah, out. of it. It, What's
0: great about Brian De Palma's version. I'm sorry to can interrupt. No, you go, you go, you always have the right of way, Bart. But, what's great about Brian De Palma's version, and this is why the other carries do not work on any level, is his is an opera. And Thank that, you. you don't get any you don't get any grander than opera. <laughs> Thank you. That
1: is how I always describe it. So the emotion levels of this are so up, they're almost operatic. Like it's everything is so black and white and the everything is life and death all the time. Like it's just the fucking prom. Everybody calm down. But no, it's not just the prom, it's opera prom it's and big. When it's I heard big, that, you know when I heard that they mm-hmm. were making a musical of it, you know, long before it ever came out, I got excited because in my mind I went this will make
0: a brilliant rock opera. Yes. Yeah, and they didn't it's do that. It's done correctly. Yeah, and no, they because it, they it, don't they don't know how to do it. They don't because they don't understand the material that they have in front of them and you need a very strong director like De Palma to pull that off. Mm-hmm. And anything since any remake that comes after it can't top that. You cannot top opera. I don't care how big, like whatever you do. It's just that big. Yeah. It's a motion picture. It's not even a movie. Oh, yes. I say that all the time.
1: I have films and movies. <laughs> motion picture is also a good way to put it.
0: <laughs> so this movie is a
1: film. This other movie is, is a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which, if I can go back to dreams for just a minute. just yeah, what, I love the way you ended it, the way you ended it, because I talked about that movie and thought about it. Forever afterwards. It was all I could talk about that night. Those other two segments are great on their own, but the way, just the fact that you gave me so many unanswered questions and let me draw my own conclusions about what was going on is so exciting to me. Yeah, and I I was very happy, and even just watching it this last time, I said, "Oh, oh, I'm seeing this in a totally different way. I'm kind of seeing, oh, it's like different worlds, and it each kind of has its own like, like leader, and she has a test to pass. Whether that's right or wrong, doesn't matter. I don't want to know what's in your script. <laughs> Never tell me what's in your script because I will always want to figure it out on my own. So, how do you know Sean Abley?
0: Um, so Sean, uh, he is. Um... From Fangoria, he had "Gay of the Dead" uh, the, the "Gay of the Dead" articles from mm. Fangoria magazine, on, the online articles, and I believe Sean and Alan knew each other, which then introduced me to Sean. And Sean was wanting to do an interview with me. This was before I was out of the closet, and. I said I'll do you the interview, and that'll be when I come out publicly, you know, as a filmmaker. And he said, "Great," but I kept I kept pushing the interview off because I was terrified. And finally, and finally, because it was a very different, you know, we're going back maybe fifteen years, not even fifteen years, maybe about like eight years ago. Was a different. It was a little bit different. So you were thirteen, and- yeah. uh-huh. Yeah, I was thirteen years old at that point. <laughs> to come out making movies. And, like I mean, I, I was out to people, but I wasn't like you know I. I, I was out like, and then this out. Out. Yeah. There's out and then there's out. And when you're not used to talking about it in a very public forum, it becomes kind of, oh my God, everybody's going to read this. Yeah. Anyway, Sean Sean had, uh, Sean had was great about it and he kind of yelled at me. <laughs> and I was like, you're right, I, I'm going to do this. And I did. And that's how Sean and I knew each other. So I did the Gay of the Dead article for him. And uh, he interviewed me and it was really great. And then it was in the book. And, you know, he's out here in LA. I got to see him once in a while. And so, through just mutual friends and colleagues. Well, next
1: time you see him, you tell him (laughs) the same thing. (laughs) Do I I call him your queen? (laughs) Yes, yes, you do that to me. Because I'll tell you, I talked about this in the show, and I've talked about it on the show with Sean, so it's totally okay. I met Sean Abley circa 1995 in an AOL Bears chat room. (laughs) And this was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about as well. Like I've discovered doing the show. Well, initially when I was started doing the show, I was not connected to a gay community that liked horror at all. I was the only one that I knew for most of my life. You know, people kind of sort of liked it, or but it was never. You know what I mean? The way we, no, the I, way I totally we like it, yeah. yeah. That can talk about it and find the you know the amazing things in it. And it's not just about boobs and blood and whatever. And I'm always curious to know what was it like for you, like in high school or whatever, like be, you know. Bef- oh, what I found out with the show is that people, so many people, were so happy to find it because like it's so great to find this because I don't have any gay friends who like horror either, and all of a sudden it was like this weird second closet that people were coming out of.
0: Oh, oh my god, yeah. yeah. You finally made me proud
1: of was- what I am. I'm like what? I'm just I'm just
0: yapping. What are you talking I- about? But I I will say this out here in Los Angeles, West Hollywood is nothing but a huge horror community of gay people. Um, Everybody loves horror out here. And it's it's a huge community out here. And it's so nice to be a part of it and feel welcomed. Um, Not that New York didn't, but New York has a smaller kind of community of horror fans that are out there over here. Honestly, it's very big. And uh, Halloween is like Christmas out here. And then Christmas is kind of quiet, which is why I come back to New York. But to go back to what you were saying, for me growing up, um, you know, I come from a very Italian Catholic household. My dad was a police officer. My mom was a hairdresser. Uh-huh. I don't know where the hell I come from. And, you know, my my I, my perception of horror was uh, – was you know basically the stereotypes everybody talked about judy garland and barbara streisand and i'm being quite honest i didn't quite understand it i didn't understand it so therefore i didn't understand myself but for some reason i always connected to carrie and i connected to jason and i connected to you know these misfits i guess of the horror uh movies and then you had fangoria which was basically my kind of bible um that allowed me to kind of Feel, be who I was in a horror sense, as a as somebody of the arts and filmmaking, and then probably the best thing that happened for me was when Clive Barker announced that he was gay, and they announced it in Fangoria magazine. And I remember crying because I was like, "Oh my God, I'm not I'm not the only one." It's Clive, Clive, who is a hero. Clive, who's made Pinhead and wrote these books of Bloods and stuff. He's gay just like me. And that helped so much, yeah. so much. I can't begin to tell you how much that helped me. Wow. And then when I, when I began to make my, you know, and in high school, it was, I was very hush hush because I went to a Catholic all boys school and I had really great oh my friends, God. Bart, but I knew there was Bart, something you, odd about, Yes. Yeah. Hold
1: on, Bart, <laughs> where did you go to all boys Catholic high school?
0: I went to uh, a really great school, too, Monsignor McClancy High School in East Elmhurst, Queens. Oh, sure. I remember we used to
1: run track against you guys. I went to Chaminade. <laughs> oh, did you really? Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's all true, Chaminade boys. Take bubble baths together. Together. It's all true. It's all
0: true. <laughs> <laughs> i want to see... Oh, no, see, McClancy was... You never mess with the McClancy boys because we'd be, just beat the shit out of everybody. Well, of we weren't Queens. the Malloy no, boys.
1: We were just Nassau. So, you know, we were Long Island boys. It was different. What do we have? Debbie Gibson. Nothing, nothing. We give us Queens. Oh, my God. Queens boys will fuck you up. Like,
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we were total Queens boys. No matter how gay I was, I was a total Queens Italian boy. And I still am out here, which is kind of funny. Uh, but, you know, then, um, then as I started getting making into then as as i started getting into making films particularly as a cinematographer i met alan Mm rokelly and then that kind of just opened up the doors and alan you know and i've been been best friends i mean best friends for like the past uh 13 years now and you know you can't have a better a producing partner a better friend than than alan rokelly because he understands the work and the respect that it goes in and so do i and to be a part of that community was so Opening and felt really good for me, and I was just like, "Oh my god, I finally! I felt like I finally belonged somewhere."
1: Yeah, I get that. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. I love that. I loved all the stuff about Clive. I've forgotten about that. What it was like when he came out.
0: I mean, I mean, and then to and then then to have Clive put his name on my film. And the first yes. question he asked was one of the first questions he asked me was he goes, "Hey, Barty and and I'm not going to imitate him, but he's you know. He, Clark has that great british raspy voice and he yeah. goes uh are you out of the closet yet and i'm just like oh yeah and he goes well if you are and he goes this movie certainly has pushed you out of it <laughs> uh, i have looked for so, that movie for so long oh uh, mr Bard. i think it's on amazon it should be on amazon
1: uh, i just i just double checked right now and it says that it doesn't fit their standards or something hold on amazon oh my god that's crazy uh huh. I hope. Well, I know that, uh, Is there penis in it?
0: Uh, there's no penis. Because oh, I know they pulled, they pulled penis. a
1: lot of films that had nothing wrong with them except full frontal nudity on men. No, mine. Be- I know. I, I
0: definitely know full frontal in vindication. Well, spy I don't even want to watch it. No, I'm, it. Just kidding. I'm
1: just kidding. Okay. <laughs> la, 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 fix it in post. This title is currently unavailable. Our agreements with the content provider do not allow purchases of this title at this time. Oh, my God. All right. I'll find one for you. Thank you. Thank you. I wasn't begging for one. <laughs> but But since we're talking about it, no. what is vindication about?
0: So Vindication is a feature film. So basically what I did was I took the whole coming out of the closet process for for somebody, basically me, and I spun it rather than him being gay, he's nothing more than a serial killer, he's okay. a psychopath. And um so basically he comes he he re- he represses it as much as he can and then he decides to attempt suicide, which he is unsuccessful. That unleashes his unconscious. That takes that is personified uh, in in a form, uh, and he then goes on this journey of self acceptance. And except it's a horror movie, it is a very mean spirited movie. Uh, there's not a, there's really not a lot of comedy in it at all.
1: I figured if Clyde put his name on it, he's not known for 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 pulling punches. So.
0: Yeah. You know, so he really did like a, he really like, I mean, when Clive starts doing quotes of your movie on the phone with you, you know, you've done something right. Nice. And then, you know, the kid just accepts who he is and that he is a serial killer. And once he accepts it and he starts murdering, he feels better. And I put elements of Carrie in there, Friday the 13th, you know, Mrs. Voorhees, um, a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of Dante's Inferno, lots of classic literature like i derived from and put it in there excellent that sounds and again a very emotional horrific but sad ending okay
1: okay my favorite kind
0: yeah (laughs) i always say
1: leave me leave leave me with the oogie boogies like two days later like when i'm going to sleep i'll start (laughs) thinking about the movie rather than forgetting about it by the time i finish my popcorn (laughs) Always give me that. It's fantastic. So
0: are you working on anything now? Uh, Right. What am I working on now? Yeah. Uh, I've been doing actually, uh, I teach a lot here in the New York Film Academy in Los Angeles. So I've got some really great classes all the time with cinematography. So I'm either on the universal backlot working or I'm on sound stages working. So I'm actually having a really good fun time. I'm one of these people that wakes up and is just like, oh, this is fun. Uh, and then other than that, I've been doing a lot of photography. So I've been doing much more yes. fine art portrait. Oh, yes. Uh, so my guess. Thank you. Uh, so that's been moving off. Uh, so that's been moving in quite a nice direction that I didn't expect. So I got this really nice photography business that's been kind of taken off here in Los Angeles. And my focus has been kind of on that. Uh, I would love to get into another film if, you know, Fortune decides to lay its, you know, um, finances on me, uh, but we'll sure. see as time goes. I do know that like, you know, Michael Varadhi, Alan Rochelle and I, we would love to make a Tales of Poe too. We actually have the script for it. Well, there plenty um, of material. We, oh yeah. We, we, the three of us already have three stories set and we'd like to bring in other directors like Mark Bessinger also, cause he, he's another see. wonderful filmmaker, Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know so that that's a possible opening uh within maybe the next two years, uh but we'll see where it goes. uh It's nice that people want another one from us, so I'm more inclined to say, "Hey, yes, uh, I would love to do that excellent, that would be fantastic no i would I mean- And somewhere in there I try and sleep. <laughs> sleep is for wimps, <laughs> oh my God. Some days you're just like, all right, I know I have to get this done, but I need some sleep in order to
1: get it done. Oh, yes, I know. I know. I know. Um, I just wanted to say that photo that that came out a couple of weeks ago with the redhead. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) 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 And, And your birthday photo in the bathtub was amazing. (laughs) <laughs> oh my God, Reed is great. Reed's a, great, a really wonderful actor out here in L.A. And we were just doing headshots, and he was just like, "That hey, was you know, head." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was much more than a headshot. Uh, and he was just, was like, "Get in the tub, Reed. Take your shirt off." He was like, "All right, no problem." And he was really cool about it. Um, and then the, the the one in the bathtub, I just could not help myself; it was just too funny. And I'm blanking. Who was in the tub with you? Uh, wait, which so I was in the tub with my camera, and I think I was flicking the the, the lens in and out. But if there was that other shot of in the bathtub, um, there was a few that I shot. One was my friend Beth, who Adrian King's actually in that photo. That's who, of course, it's Adrian
1: King. But I remember looking at it going, There's something so
0: Edward Gorey about this, I love it. (laughs) <laughs> that was such a, my friend, Beth Wernick, who's a music producer and Paul Antonelli, who is the music composer for the young and the restless and Adrian, uh, we were able to get to all together and do this beautiful photo shoot for Beth's, uh, 66th birthday. Um, and I said, I want to, I, I, you know, I had a scout for a location and I found it at FD photo studios here in Los Angeles. And my friend, Joey, Joey James, who's a photographer, he recommended the place. And I found that studio and it just by, you know, again, scheduling everybody's schedules worked out, and Adrian and Paul were all able to come in, and I was just like, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do," and then that was basically the photo. That Sunday photo, we call it. Uh, Beth named it. She called it Sunday. It's like the day after Saturday. Ah, nice. Okay, Bart,
1: this has been a lovely chat. Thank you, Patrick. This is great. I'm guessing that that throat that Alan's slitting is like really thick, or he has a butter knife or something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, Alan, he gets into those jobs and he just doesn't stop. Well, it's got to
1: be perfect. You know, he can't just slit a throat any old way. It's got to be the Alan Roe Kelly way or the highway. <laughs> Which means it's going to be the best way. Exactly. And the most fabulous and the most fashionable. I'm like He really slit that throat with 1940s Hollywood
0: glamour. I don't know how he did that.
1: <laughs> I've never seen anything like
0: it. <laughs> I mean, you know, he puts so much work into his, he puts so much quality again into his work. And that's why he keeps getting the work, which is great.
1: I know I just said I was wrapping this up, but since we're on Alan, I need to, I I already told the story on the regular podcast, but I need to tell it to you as well, because I know you haven't listened yet. The first introduction I had to Alan, I was at a horror convention in Indianapolis, and they were screening Spectre. And wait, which one? Sculpture. Oh, okay. Oh,
0: sculpture. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes.
1: Yeah. This was a long time ago. And it was before the uh, convention. You know, they announced what they were screening. I was looking up the trailers and I watched the trailers. I'm like, oh, that's a man in drag. That's going to be a really camp funny role. And then I went to see the movie. I'm going, this isn't camp or funny. And the guy's name is Robert. And nobody is addressing the fact that it's a man in a dress. This is cool. It, it's just, it's
0: just Robert, and that's just Alan. Alan is Alan, and you know, exactly. I you know, and that's who he is, and that, and it's, and there's no else way to describe that. No, there's not, and it's
1: just this wonderful, warm, incredibly warm, funny person, and 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 and, and it's just that's him. And you either yes, deal yeah, with absolutely. it, yeah, either deal with it, or you can keep moving. Because I know some people are just like, what was that about? What was that about? I'm like, it, it was just a person. It's just that who that person is. Robert is a guy like who a dress, and everybody is cool with that. Why aren't you cool with and that?
0: Everybody's cool with
1: it. Well, I and think by the, the way, problem is, and fabulous in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's what I was going to say is that he looks fantastic in everything that he, you know, did. did you see? If you go on Facebook, look at this photo from last night. He was at a premiere last night on the red carpet with a friend of his. I saw that. And I he looks fantastic.
1: Uh huh. I ran into him on the street a couple of weeks ago. Um, um, actually, uh, oh, Desiree, what's your name? Uh, the, the Sleepaway Camp actress. Desiree, Desiree Gould. Thank you they were doing the screening at the rock bar and you know, you know, I know Brian Norton and Joe Zazzo, So I was like, okay, I'll go to that. I got there and was so exhausted. I couldn't even move. So I just was kind of limping up Christopher street, back to this, back to the subway and it was cold and it was windy. And all of a sudden I just heard Patrick and it's Alan just like, ping, just stepped out of the makeup and wardrobe and hair and just like looking stunning. I'm like, how are you looking stunning in this wind? How are you looking? Like-? so happy to see me and was so sad that i was limping home and i was like i it, but it, it that just that little encounter made the trip home so much less painful oh, that's 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 a great story i mean he's going to love that when he hears this oh i already told him i already oh, told him I said I'm so sorry <laughs> i couldn't come hang out with you but i was dying and you just lit up my night <laughs>
0: We were just speaking yesterday, actually. We talk like, uh, oh my God, like three times a week, four times a week. We'll text each other just like random photos just to make each other laugh. (laughs)
1: That's a good thing. That's a good good friend to have. It's a good friend. Okay, Bart, I need to get back to work here. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. You are welcome back on the show anytime to just bullshit because this was incredibly entertaining.
0: Oh, my pleasure, Pat. This was great. I'm, I love how it was just a great conversation. And uh, I didn't you never know what the hell you're going to expect. But this was cool. So cool. Very nice. Thank you.
1: Yeah, that's this is why I do casual chats. I don't like interviews. It's always the same questions. It's like you said about like, it'll just be about what you're doing next. What's going on? I just want to see. I like to see where things go. And I liked everywhere where this went.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. And so did I. Okay, have an
1: excellent rest of your Sunday. And oh, oh my God. Thank you, sir. Oh, my God. Fuck. Jesus. What? Fuck, Bart, I almost forgot. Yes, (laughs) go ahead. This is really fucking important. Oh, my God. Okay.
0: Happy Halloween! That's it. (laughs) Happy Halloween, sir. We've got that coming up on, uh, what is it, Wednesday? Wednesday. Wednesday is Halloween.
1: Uh, Yes, I'm well aware of that. (laughs) And we're out. memories like the corners of my mind that was fun that was fun thank you again to Bart Bart Masternardi for sitting down with me two years ago to have that conversation and for letting me dig him up for another little refresher course in his business now Alan Ro Kelly is next up on the schedule of queer horror filmmakers that we're going to be talking to and you don't even have to wait a whole week to hear from him no you don't I'll be putting that out on Friday because I've got so many queer filmmakers lined up waiting to talk to you. I'm going to be doubling up on my schedule that is already doubled up. Because that's how much I love you. I love you so much in it's Pride Month and yay. So just a reminder, this Saturday, we're going to be screening two of Bart's films. Vindication, which is the one that got the rave from Clive Barker. And it's Bart's own personal coming out story as a gay filmmaker. Come check that out. that would be fabulous. And that'll be followed by Tales of Poe, which not only stars Alan O'Kelly, who also co-directed the film, it also stars every eighty screen queen you can think of. Amy Steele, Adrian King, Caroline Williams, Desiree Gold, Leslie Donaldson, and Randy Jones, the cowboy guy from The Village People. That's going to be starting on Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Cast. And you can join us by visiting bit.ly slash SQSocial, bit.ly slash SQSocial. And in the meantime, if you if you want to get in touch with the show, you know how to do it. You can find me on Facebook by doing a search on Scream Queens, where hard gets gay. I'm on Twitter at Scream Queens. I'm on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. And if you want to join the Patreon crew, please do that at www.patreon.com. Got bonus content material for you every month. And leave a review on iTunes or on Podchaser, chaser that would be fabulous let me know how your pride's going all right that's it that's it i'll see you all on friday when i'll be here with alan Rowe kelly we'll be talking about all his independent horror films and a grand old time will be had by all and until next time my beautiful beautiful screamers continue to live by that golden rule fight or flight survive the night make it to the final reel wear a fucking mask stay the fuck home share black stories black lives matter keep yourself healthy keep yourself safe
0: Ew.